all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, an associate professor of preventive medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy, women's health, where we discuss issues involving women's health. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey, Assistant Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. Many people today struggle with falling asleep, staying asleep, or waking up not feeling refreshed. Today we will be discussing insomnia. We will explore some of the common causes and things we can do to get a better night's sleep. We would love to hear from you. Share your comments and questions with us this morning. Send us an email at women at mpbonline.org. Well, good morning, everyone. It is definitely a cloudy and kind of gloomy day outside today. So far, at least for us, the rain hasn't really started falling. But if it is raining wherever you are, I want you all to please be careful while you're out there on the road. I know this seems to be the time when a lot of accidents happen. So make sure you're giving yourself plenty of time to get where you need to be. Or if you don't have a place to go, just sit back and enjoy a nice cloudy day in the house, um, which kind of is not nice because it talks it goes along with our topic of insomnia today and trouble oh, sleeping yes i know on rainy days sometimes i just want to crawl back in the bed and that's me keep... pretty much every day <laughs> it can be sunshine and i still want to kind of crawl back in the bed this is true this is true <laughs> and so it just makes for just such a nice day if you don't have to be out and about yep so I really picked this topic of insomnia today because it really is something that I get almost every day in my practice. And I think at some point, everyone has had trouble with falling asleep, staying asleep at any age. We want our kids to sleep. We want to sleep. We want babies to sleep. And so it just is a common topic that comes up in clinic. So about 14.5% of adults have trouble falling asleep most days or at least every day in the past 30 days um, based off of the most current statistics. And about one to two thirds of adults endorse insomnia symptoms when they're coming to their clinic. So hence why I feel like I get this every day. Majority of my patients are having some sort of issues with sleep. Insomnia or trouble sleeping we see is sometimes often more common in older adults and interestingly more common in women. And when we look at statistically some of the groups of people that sometimes have challenges with sleeping, interestingly enough, and well, it kind of makes sense if you think about the stresses of life, oftentimes you'll see this in, in patients or people who have 
unemployment, are divorced, widowed, separated, and oftentimes low socioeconomic classes. So to me, that kind of common theme that goes through that is the amount of stress that we're experiencing in our life can definitely have an impact on our sleep. So why do doctors or why do your family members or your loved ones stress so much about you need to get a good night's rest? Because we know that good sleep is extremely important to our health. And there are so many consequences that happen when we don't get a good night's sleep. So things that we see, we know if we have don't get a good night's sleep, we have trouble focusing. So we know that poor sleep interferes with our cognition. It takes us longer to respond to stimuli. If you think about it, if you hadn't had a good night's rest, people are asking you questions. You feel like you're in this absolute brain fog. Um, so we definitely know lack of sleep can oftentimes interfere with our cognition. It also, we all know, interferes with our mood. Because sometimes I tell my four-year-old, I think you woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Maybe we need to get back in the bed and start over. <laughs> so we definitely know that it increases irritability, poor judgment, low energy. It's even been associated with decreased libido. And so a lot of these things, ultimately, when we get better night's sleep or our sleep is restored, a lot of these issues resolve on their own. So sleep has a huge impact on us in life. The other issue that kind of comes up as well, if we don't have issues with sleep, is we know that it increases our errors at work. It increases overall just quality of life. So sleep is important. And so sleep is so important that there's so many devices and things out there that we can purchase that can kind of help us track our sleep ultimately. And so my husband really teased me because I went and bought a ring or a wellness ring. So out there you can actually find, you know, we all have our smart watches. So Apple watches, Samsung's whole nine yards that record our sleep or people might have their Fitbits that do the same thing. But I personally cannot sleep in a watch. So I know that the watch helps us or, you know, my mom sleeps and hers every night and she's always telling me about her sleep rings and her sleep cycle and how she's done but I just cannot sleep in a watch so I went and bought this fancy wellness <laughs> ring um, that tracks my sleep for me and it tells me what time I go to sleep how long I'm in a deep sleep how many times I woke up it actually gives you your oxygen level heart rate whole nine yards and so it made me laugh because my ring told me what I already knew is that I don't get enough sleep mm, right <laughs> and I was mistaken you for saying you bought a mood ring at first well, <laughs> it's like oh it's green so I'm jealous of somebody right now is that what that means or something <laughs> no not at all oh, that takes me way back I don't even know if they still blue means I'm Sad, right? I, yeah, they don't do that anymore. No, okay. they don't have mood rings anymore, <laughs> interestingly enough. But yes, I went and bought this fancy ring to tell me what I already knew, that I'm exhausted and that I need more sleep. But what's funny is my husband teased me about buying this ring, and about three months later, he bought himself one. So kind Uh-oh. of a cool, cool yeah. thing. So even though it told me what I already knew, it gave me great feedback on some things that I could do um, to improve my sleep. So that's something that we'll definitely cover over the next hour. But the other thing is it just made me really conscious of, of how I'm sleeping, what affects my sleep, and what are some things to do to help with sleep. So I think ultimately, anytime I feel in medicine, when I'm trying to explain the importance of something to my patients, is I also want them to understand about the disease process. So we all hear about this REM sleep and stages of sleep and all those kind of fun things. So we all, for the most part, know that there's about four stages of sleep. So we have what we call our non-REM sleep. So what are they talking about when they're saying REM? That's rapid eye movement. And that's one of the final stages of sleep. But non-REM sleep comes in three stages. So when we talk about the stages of sleep, when we look at uh, the stages, 
we go through these cycles of sleep or the four stages over about 90 minutes. And ideally for a good night's rest of sleep, we need to do that about four to six times. And of course, that's going to vary from person to person. But it also makes sense why sometimes a nap just doesn't do what it needs to do for us because nine times out of 10, our nap is not quite that 90 minutes. And most of the time we can't make it through all four stages of sleep. So again, we're just not getting good quality sleep sometimes when we nap. So what about the stages of sleep? So stage one, That's probably about the shortest stage, lasts about five to 10 minutes. This is when you're talking about I'm dozing off, your body is starting to slow down, the brain is starting to slow down. It is telling us I am preparing and getting ready for sleep. So this makes me laugh because as I tell you about my fancy ring that I bought, um, it, it's kind of the latency phase of sleep. And so when I first, the first few nights, I was like, oh, awesome. I'm falling asleep in two minutes. Like, this is awesome. I'm having no problem staying asleep. Well, the feedback from my ring was that that was a sign of exhaustion. <laughs> and so maybe not necessarily the best thing. So our bodies want us to kind of calmly and slowly fall asleep. Sometimes if we're falling asleep the minute our head hits the pillow, that might tell us that we're probably not getting as much sleep as we think that we need if we're that exhausted. So the ideal kind of stage one of sleep is our falling asleep, our body is relaxing, our body is preparing for sleep at night. So stage two is usually what people talk about when they say that you're in a light sleep. This is when your muscles begin to relax, your body temperature slowly coming down, your heart rate is starting to slow down, um, your your brain waves are slowing down. And so this, again, is just kind of preparing us for that deep sleep. So this is the part of the sleep where you're probably a lot more easy to arouse or wake up. Um, then when we get to the third stage of sleep, so we're still not in that rap, rapid or REM sleep that we're talking about. The third stage of sleep is when people are in what we call the deep sleep phase. And so at this point, our eyes and muscles are fully at rest. This is the part of the sleep that's kind of like that restorative, repairing portion of our sleep to be in that deep sleep. We're building our bones, strengthening our immune system. All those cells are regrowing. We're kind of regrouping. Um, and during this stage of sleep is, is kind of where you're very difficult to wake up. That's why they essentially call it the deep sleep cycle. And then interestingly enough, as we get older, we actually spend a little less time in this cycle. So as we age, I start to hear patients sometimes have more challenges with sleep. And some of that comes around. We just spend a lot less time in this deep sleep phase, and it's kind of a little bit easier to be aroused. The final stage of sleep is what we hear of is that rapid eye movement stage. And this is the dream stage where we say people have um, those the kind of nighttime dreams. That's usually when you hit REM sleep and that follows that final stage. And so your brain activity greatly increases during this time um, of, of sleep. And oftentimes this is where your muscles are at their most relaxed state. So some patients can of, often have almost like a temporary paralysis, like your body's not moving. It's except for your eyes. And so that's where we get the rapid eye uh, rim sleep or rapid eye movement that we talk about. And so this is another important part of our kind of sleep cycle altogether, making sure that we get enough rim sleep. And then what happens? We do that all over again. So just as I mentioned before, um, kind of getting a good night's rest involves us kind of hitting all those stages of sleep. 
I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey, Assistant Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. We have been talking about sleep and insomnia for the first half of this show. Send us an email at women at mpbonline.org. So we have gotten a chance to really dive in a little bit about sleep, just because at some point in time, we all have had trouble or issues with sleeping. And so just in, in that first segment, we talked a little bit about the four stages of sleep and how it's important that we try to make it through all four stages. And we do that about four to six times a night. Um, and I was kind of giving a, a joke about this kind of fancy ring that I've bought that helps me track my sleep. And one of our colleagues in the studio was actually asking me more information about the ring. But interestingly enough, it's a pretty cool ring if you Google it and look it up online. And it works with any type of smartphone, whether you're a Samsung phone or an iPhone user. And the ring sends information to your phone. And it's really cool because not only does it track your sleep, it just reminds you of things. So like my phone will tell me, this is your ideal bedtime. This is about the time you should start winding down for sleep. So it'll send me a message and tell me when I should be preparing for bed. And then I can track my... um my sleep on the ring. How did I do each night? And it actually gives you a sleep score, which is kind of cool. It tells you, gives you feedback from all the data it takes. So your heart rate, your temperature, um, how much time you're spending in all these sleep cycles I was telling you about. So it gives you all that great information on your phone and really teaches. I really actually learned a lot about sleep and did a lot more research about sleep after getting this ring and kind of reading about it. And interestingly enough, it has great articles that it directs patient or people to. So look into it. It's pretty, um, neat to device to have. And so... So it'll give you a letter grade, does it? Because I'd get like an F all the time. And it I'd gives be like, you what a am I going to do to get off this F? Well, you know, it's funny because I'm very type A personality. So when I see all this red on my feedback from my sleep, <laughs> yeah. it really kind of puts me in a little bit of a panic. So then I'm like clicking on it to read like, what do I need to do to get rid of all this red? So it gives you a number and yeah. almost it feels like a grade. So yeah. I've gotten a lot of bad grades sometimes just because I already know I'm not getting all the great sleep. Yeah, I'd me, feel so. stupid for having to practice at sleeping for a second, but then it would probably make my sleep a whole lot better. No, it really does. And so that's one thing that I've really liked about it is that um, is that it gives me that feedback and just makes me more mindful of what I need to do to kind of help myself uh, fall asleep. So it, so it's a pretty cool, cool thing. And like I said, if you're a competitive person, it kind of, you don't like to see red and you don't like to see low scores, it kind of helps you <laughs> with your sleep. But again, a lot of watches and Fitbits and other devices do it. I just have a hard time sleeping in those. Um, so that's why this just kind of works for me. It's easier for me to sleep in a ring. But uh, looks like we have our first caller with us. We have Steve from Edwards. Hey, Steve, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing good. Um, I just want to ask a question. My wife is totally blind, and she ha- she's been having she's always had trouble with sleep, and we've tried different medications. And uh, we've heard one on TV called, I think the name Helios or Helios, the non twenty four medication. Can you repeat the name? You said it's a non it's a non sleep medic, like a herbal. Well, no, it's a, it's called non twenty four name. And uh, the name of the medication is it's either Helios or Helios. I don't I don't know how it's spelled. Yes, sir. Just, be, go ahead. I'm sorry. It was just a commercial we saw on TV. Yeah. I will be honest. I'm not quite as familiar with that particular sleep medicine. Have y'all tried other sleep aids and have not had um, much success? The only one she had any kind of success was was, was the Ambien. Okay, but, but it, it interferes. The doctor said they can't prescribe that with the pain medication she takes. 
Right. And so I'm happy you kind of bring that up because it really kind of gets us to dive a little bit into some of the causes of sleep. So um, when I kind of talk to my patients about why they're having trouble sleeping, and you guys might have already discussed this with your doctor, but I also like to review other reasons that your wife might be having trouble falling asleep. So I know, as you mentioned, um, that she oh, is wow. is totally blind. So we all think about, OK, our circadian rhythm and, you right. know, dark right. and light and all those things contributing to our sleep cycle, that that's a little bit different than some of our patients that um, may be um, completely blind. However, we still have other things in life that can contribute to to poor sleep. So I tell patients to just kind of reflect and also even sometimes take a sleep diary and see what's happening on those days that you're having better sleep or even days that you're having worse sleep, that maybe there might be some lifestyle changes that we can adjust that might be able to to help your wife fall asleep without having to use medications. So interestingly enough, though, pain medications can really interfere with our sleep cycle long term. Um, And of course, we know that she needs pain control to get good sleep that we know. But sometimes maybe looking at some um, alternatives uh, uh, that could be kind of contributing to her trouble with sleeping. But you're right. There's a lot of different new medications that are out there um, that can help with sleep. And, And I tell patients, it's like anything else, trying to find what works for your body and um, ultimately. So there are might be some other options that her doctor could consider um, if she's concerned with the interaction with pain medication um, as well as uh, taking a sleep aid. Uh, do you know what the, like, the closest thing to Ambien is like, or something in that family? I don't, I'm not familiar with medications, but like something that could prescribe, that can, that can be prescribed with also with the pain medication, like a, so a the, good sleep aid? Yes, sir. So, that, so that's a very challenging one, mainly because the concern is that a lot of our pain medications, our opioids, we know right. can interfere um, essentially with our sleep and, and, and essentially like decrease um, our alertness and those types of things. So when you're combining an opioid with a sleep aid, you have that additive effect. So most of your prescription sleep medications are going to possibly interfere with her opioids. So even if we take okay. a, something similar to, to Ambien, there are things out there like Lunesta um, or, or, uh, or Sonata or those types of things, but they all work very similarly. And that's on those GABA receptors that you'll hear people talk about that work very similar to um, benzos like Xanax or Ambien or those types of things that really just kind of... Um, I, I say put our brains to sleep. That's essentially what we want them to do. But the concern is the additive effect with the opioids. So there's melatonin that you can try over the counter and that we actually now have a prescription version of melatonin um, that patients oh. can use. The hard part about what's that. The, I'm sorry. Oh, what's, that, what's the name of that? So it is Relmatonin. It's, it's actually quite similar um, to, the, to the name of melatonin uh, that patients can use that can help um, with sleep as well. So that's something that you can definitely. Remelton. Rel, rel, let me make sure I get it so I can spell it correctly for you. For you. Um, so it's it's essentially R A M E L T E O N, and it Remel, works. Remelton. Yes, sir. And so it works on the same receptor as the over-the-counter melatonin that we prescribe for our patients. So I've had some patients that have had um, success with the prescription version versus over-the-counter. It just becomes sometimes right. a little challenging um, with insurance uses, coverage. Uses the liquid. She does use the liquid melatonin, and it, it works better for her than the, the pill form. 
Good, good. And so sometimes, like you said, it's just kind of switching it up and, and figuring out what works for you guys. And and, and so um, that melatonin, so I would continue to use that if you've had some success with the melatonin over right. the counter. But again, there's that prescription option, too, that you can discuss with your doctor that's safe to take with opioids as well. Okay, thank you so much. I love yes. your show. Yes, sir. Well, thank you so much, Steve. You guys have a great day. Bye-bye. And so just to kind of recap, we've been talking about issues with sleep and trouble falling asleep. And so a lot of my patients come in and they ask me, what can I do or what can I take for sleep? And so I always ask my patients, like, let's take a step back. Let's figure out exactly why we're having trouble falling asleep. And so there are so many things that can interfere with our sleep. And so just from that last call, a lot of chronic medical illnesses can interfere with our sleep, right? If we're having chronic pain, that's that's waking us up at night. That makes it challenging to have a good night's sleep. If we're waking up to go to the bathroom multiple times a night, that can make it a challenge to go to sleep. If we're having a lot of shortness of breath from other underlining um, chronic medical problems, that makes sleep sometimes scary for some patients as they're nervous to fall asleep. We also want to make sure that we're not missing any type of sleep disorders that could be interfering with our sleep. So sometimes a lot of my patients that have trouble sleeping can have things like obstructive sleep apnea. You have that relatives that snoring so loud or they're, you know, it seems like they're having all these pauses in their sleep and or and then you're waking yourself up at sleep with your sleep from those pauses in breathing. We're not at that time getting good quality sleep. And so treating that underlying illness can really make a big difference, too. Other things that can keep us up at night, if you or if you're dealing with things like restless leg syndrome and you're having issues, this constant need for your legs to move or to get up and move, that is again breaking that sleep cycle. So it makes it very challenging to go to sleep. And then other things that are happening in our life that can can ultimately interfere with our sleep. So things that we're looking at, like if we're dealing with anxiety or depression or having racing thoughts, all these things that are ultimately disrupting our sleep need to be addressed. And even as we talk about those types of things, there's lots of studies that even show many people that had childhood traumas and things of that nature. All those things can ultimately interfere with our sleep cycle. So before jumping directly to a sleep pill for some of our patients, I like for my patients to take a step back and say, let's look at some other things that could be interfering with our sleep. And then, of course, there's also things that we do in life that interfere with our sleep, that we that medications that we take. So a lot of my patients um, that may have ADHD or even some of our patients that are taking a lot of these weight loss medications, there can be that can interfere with our sleep cycle. Antidepressants, if you're on chronic steroids, that can interfere with your sleep. And just like our previous caller, even medications such as opioids can ultimately interfere with that sleep cycle and interfere with our quality of sleep. So sometimes just adjusting the time of day that we take those medications or the dosing of those medications can really be ultimately very helpful in our sleep. And of course, as I said, I got this fancy ring to help me decide a or figure out my sleep when I already know some of the bad things that I'm doing. So just poor sleep habits habits in general can affect our sleep. So I personally know that I cannot drink any caffeine after about 
honestly 11 a.m. or I'm going to have trouble sleeping later in the night. The big thing are the loaded teas. I tried that full of energy at the beginning of the day and then nighttime comes and I'm like sitting there looking at the ceiling and the common thing was that I actually had that loaded tea that day. So sometimes, oh, no, not the loaded teas. Yes, the loaded teas. And oh. so they can be great sometimes for some people. Gets you over the hump for the day. But definitely you can. So any of my caffeine drinkers, if we're drinking that cup of coffee all the way through the afternoon, then we definitely can ha- that can definitely interfere with our sleep. And heavy meals. This actually came up on one of the breaks. I was talking with one of our staff and it's not a room. So having a heavy meal can interfere with your sleep cycle as well. So what we eat before bedtime. And I know sometimes people feel like a little alcohol and not nice glass of wine or, you know, a little mixed drink before bed kind of gets you relaxed and helps you fall asleep. It can help you fall asleep, but it can ultimately interfere with your quality of sleep as well. From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedy Women's Health, where we discuss issues involving women's health. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey, Assistant Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at UMMC. Today, we have been discussing sleep and issues with insomnia and things that we can do to get a better night's sleep, talked about some causes of having trouble falling asleep, and we're going to go ahead and take our call from Sarah in Jackson. How are you this morning, Sarah? I'm good. How are you? Good. So tell me about what's going on. Yeah, my husband has dealt with insomnia most of his life since he was young, and he's tried all the medications, um, really particular about sleep hygiene, um, and really he's just never found anything that has worked. His trouble is falling asleep. He ends up only getting just a few hours of sleep a night. He'll be up until 4 o'clock in the morning. So I feel like we've kind of exhausted all the options. I was going to see if you could recommend somewhere like maybe at the university that does sleep studies that don't just focus on sleep apnea. He doesn't have sleep apnea. But is there a particular doctor at the university that looks at things beyond just sleep apnea? So, yeah, so we do have some physicians. So if you refer them ultimately to our sleep, if your primary care physician refers them Mm -hmm. particularly to our sleep clinic and specifies in there exactly uh, what their um, what their problem is, we do have someone that can evaluate them. So interestingly enough, people who uh, study sleep is is, comes from a variety of areas of medicine. Um, So what their focus is can be very different. And so we have and I'm sorry, like my mind is going to an absolute blank, but we do have one of our doctors that falls under the psychiatry department um, that deals with sleep. And so, of course, that he looks at sleep apnea, but also focuses on other areas of issues with sleep as well. Um, so sometimes your sleep doctors can be internal medicine doctors. They can be pulmonary doctors. Um, they can be psychiatrists, all from different areas. And even ear, ENT, ear, nose, and throat doctors, all from different backgrounds um, that deal with sleep. E- all of those groups oftentimes will 
people deal with sleep apnea, um, as you said. So ENT, your pulmonary doctors, those are usually probably going to be the ones that deal more with those. But if sometimes if you have the psychiatrist that has a um, a particular focus on sleep, they oftentimes are looking at some of those other sleep disorders. But most of them are trained in all of them. Um, but we do, and I'm so sorry, my mind is going blank, but we do have one at the university. Um, I just tell patients, make sure when you're being referred to a sleep doctor that, that you're specifying exactly what you're wanting um, them to evaluate. Okay, perfect. Yes. We'll do that. Thank you yes, so much. Yes, ma'am. And, and Sarah, I do have one other question for you. I know your yeah. husband's had trouble with sleeping. Does he feel refreshed afterwards or he, he is just, no, okay. He does, he does not feel refreshed. Yes, ma'am. So I definitely hope that, that one of those doctors can, can, can get you some help. Um, but I would, that would be my, I would say kind of target one of the, the other groups to help with the sleep. Perfect. Thank you so much. No problem. You have a great day, Sarah. You too. So Sarah actually brings up um, a great point um, as she talks about uh, her husband having had issues with sleep throughout his life. Um, so sometimes for some patients, as we say, we talk about how much sleep is a good amount of sleep. So for a lot of adults, we aim for about seven to eight hours of sleep. Some studies are starting to show that maybe some sometimes we need not quite the eight and could get away with the seven. But I think for most patients around seven or eight hours is a good um, number. However, as we say with everything in medicine, everybody is very different. Everyone's body's different. What what our needs are um, are different. They change as we age or different stages of our lives in general. So what might work for me may not work for you. And there are some people that require less sleep. They sleep and they wake up refreshed and don't have any of those symptoms or complications that I mentioned earlier with issues with their cognition or focus or falling asleep during the day. I have some patients that get five hours of sleep and they're fine and they're productive and, and are unfazed. I wish that was me. I feel like that's a whole extra three hours in my day to get something done. But I'm that person that if I'm not getting around that seven hours asleep. I'm that moody, grumpy person that I kind of talked about when I said sleep can ultimately affect mood. So remember that, you know, with sleep, these are general guidelines. There's no um, one size fits all. There's so many things that ultimately um, contribute to our sleep. And that varies from person to person ultimately. So we talked a lot about um, how much, you know, the stages of sleep, now how much time we need for sleep, what are some things that can ultimately cause uh, issues with sleep. So getting our chronic medical problems under control that could be contributing to us, um, ultimately having issues. And if we're taking medications that we know are, are ultimately contributing to our lack of sleep. Those are the things I like to kind of start with. Like you'll hear me probably say this on every show, contrary to popular belief, as doctors, if I could give you a solution that didn't involve giving you a medication, that's what I want. I, you know, I, I don't want all my patients to have to take medications if they don't have to. So I definitely like to go down the route or the non-pharmacological or non-medication route when dealing with sleep. So one of the callers brought up a great point about her, her husband 
husband had tried things. So what do we mean when we talk about good sleep hygiene? Um, that is probably the first thing your doctor tells you when you ask for a sleeping pill. Then we're like, we should work on sleep hygiene. And, and I have a lot of patients that don't like that answer because they're like, I want to fix and I want to fix now. So let me clarify one thing. So sometimes when our causes of sleep are something that are acutely happening or acute insomnia, you know, we are having a stressful job. We've lost a loved one. Um, we're more depressed. We're more anxious. Yes, you know, medications can definitely help in those situations. But when our sleep issues happen more long term, we'd like to find solutions that may not necessarily involve medications if we can. So what are some things that we can do that can help us um, with our sleep? So as I mentioned before, Changing the timing of your medications if you need to, if you're taking a medication for ADHD or if you've recently started one of um, some of the weight loss medications that can interfere with sleep, taking that maybe earlier in the day, talking with your doctor to see if there needs to be an adjustment in the dose that can ultimately help a lot of patients um, with their sleep. Again, as we talked about with the caffeine, when we're talking about sleep hygiene, making sure just give it a try. I know I've got my coffee drinkers that are like, I've drank coffee all day long, all the way till I go. It doesn't affect my sleep. I just tell patients, bear with me, try it, give it a try. Let's limit our caffeine to no caffeine afternoon is a good kind of time to look at. And don't forget, I'm just talking, not just talking about my coffee drinkers or my loaded tea drinkers like myself sometimes, but the Mountain Dews, the Pepsi, the Coke, Diet Coke, all these things still full of caffeine. So let's try to have those earlier and sweet tea. I always leave that one out. That's my other one that gives me trouble. If I drink sweet tea with my dinner, I'm usually going to be awake that night. So try to move those things up earlier in the day. Trying to avoid naps can really, you know, I have, I tell my husband, you're tired all the time. He's an ER doctor, so his sleep pattern's all messed up because he works nights sometimes. So his sleep schedule gets all off. And then he's taking all these naps during the day and then he can't sleep at night, which then means I can't sleep at night. Um, so we're just all messed up. So if you can avoid taking naps during the day and trying to get most of that sleep at night, that can really be helpful. Um, exercising. Yes, exercise can help with our energy. It can help with our sleep. But remembering trying not to exercise at least three hours or so before bedtime. So as we say, we try to have that exercise earlier in the day. Again, everybody's very different. I can go to my workout class from 6.30 to 7.30 and pass out still that night, but that may not work for everybody. So if you're having trouble sleeping, maybe looking at your schedule and making some adjustments if you can with your schedule. This is the one that is probably the hardest seller to most of my patients is too much stimulation before bedtime. So that is our our cell phones that we're looking at, our iPads, our tablets, our TV, computer games, all those things before sleep really can interfere with our sleeping and our in our sleep cycle in general. And so a lot of times we really encourage people to try to make sure that you're waiting at least an hour or so before you're going to bed by limiting, turning off the screens, turning off those things. As I mentioned that, trying to limit your bed just for mainly sleep. The recommendation is use the bed only for sleep or sexual activity. Don't, you know, 
know, do all this other stuff. Me, I do all the things we're not supposed to do. I have my laptop. I'm closing charts. I'm doing all the things that, that we're not supposed to do. But I also understand that I'm having issues with my sleep. Um, but those are things that I can definitely change that can ultimately help with sleep as well. This is Dr. Jasmine Kinsey, and we have been discussing insomnia today and just all the trouble many of us, including myself, are having with sleep and some things that we can do to ultimately help, I hope, improve our sleep. So not just medications, but some lifestyle changes that we can make, as well as just reflecting on sleep in general. Is there something, are my chronic medical problems being covered well? Are those taken care of? Are they contribute to me getting up in the middle of the night? having, you know, to go to the restroom or having trouble breathing or am I snoring and and have undiagnosed sleep apnea? Any of those things can ultimately interfere with our sleep. Um, So we definitely have enjoyed learning a lot. I've enjoyed taking you all's phone calls. And so we're going to go on to our next caller. Thank you so much, Tom, for being patient. We have Tom and Brandon. Yes, uh, Dr. Kennedy, good morning. Uh, I heard your comment about some people that only need five hours sleep. In my younger days, I thrived on just five hours. I didn't have this afternoon slumps, and I had plenty of energy. Uh, Of course, I may contribute that as well to uh, my exercise program. But now, even in retirement, the most I get in any one day would be six hours. But I keep reading these articles that you have to have seven to nine our sleep or it's detrimental to your long-term health. What's your take on that? So, you know, I still tell everybody, you know, in medicine, we're looking at a the big group of people. And so we're looking at in majority of people, it looks like we could have some long term effects if we're not getting a good restful night's sleep. But I feel like if you're not having a lot of those side effects that I talked about, you feel well rested, you're not it's not interfering with anything else that you might be one of those people that are actually okay with five hours of sleep. I don't think there's anything in medicine where there is a one size fits all every person every time so you're right a lot of emergent studies are telling us that we need more sleep but then my question becomes how do we get you more sleep if your body wakes up your body wakes up and you've and you follow kind of the normal sleep cycle um and i feel like in someone like you we might be causing more harm than good by you know trying to medicate you and give you more sleep when you're when you're doing just fine with the amount of sleep that you've that you've had does yeah, that make and, sense? And that, yeah, I, I hope so, because uh, I do wake up very refreshed. I don't have any, you know, I don't have any uh, uh, after effect of getting up that early. And I, I, I was hoping that that when my body tells me to get up, I get up and it's not going to be harmful in the long term. So I appreciate uh, your feedback on that. Yes, sir. Well, you have a great day. Thank you. All right. Well, we're going to move on to our next caller. We have John from Ocean Springs. How are you, John? Uh, I'm okay. My problem is uh, recurring nightmares or night terrors or whatever you want to call them. I'm not saying every night, but most of the night. I'll give you an example. I was a bus driver at one time. Sometimes I dream about being lost and, you know, uh, off the route, don't know where or. Uh, I don't know. I've had some traumatic experiences in life, but uh, I don't dream about those. But, uh, you know, some other uh, different dreams. But 
all I know is uh, maybe cognitive uh, behavioral um, counseling or I don't know. That's why I'm calling. What what uh, type of therapies could help me? Yes, thank you so much for that, John, because I've done so much talking in this past hour, and I've left out one of the things that really could benefit a lot of people, and you said it when your doctor talks about CBT, and that's cognitive behavioral therapy. So I think you are an excellent example of somebody that would truly benefit from cognitive behavioral therapy. This is oftentimes done by um, someone trained in the mental health field, whether that is a psychologist or psychiatrist or some form of therapist who has training in sleep disorders. Disorders. And so you kind of hit the nail right on the head. Some of the things, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, that happened in our childhood or childhood traumas can ultimately are, affect our sleep long run. So I think you're a great example of somebody that would that would really benefit from cognitive behavioral therapy. So, yes, medications might give you a little bit or maybe or just a tiny bit or temporary kind of relief with some sleep, but there that the therapy is going to be the huge piece for you to start kind of working through some of some of those sleep problems. You don't know if Medicare pays for that. I'm sorry, what's that? I'm 72. Would Medicare pay for that? It should. It, it, it again, it just depends on um, what the diagnosis association is. But you know, oftentimes it should cover that. It really just depends on what particular plan a patient has. But most of the time, those services are available through your insurance. Is there a term for that, chronic nightmares? Or a- no, you're exactly right. We, we literally call it that, nightmares or night night terrors. That is a diagnosis that we use. So, um, and, and like I said, you would be the ideal candidate for um, behavioral therapy. Yes, sir. Now, thank you so much, John. We've got another caller that we're going to take, and, and make sure you're safe out there in Ocean Springs, okay? And next we have Miss Jean- Miss Jeannie, who's in Bay Springs. How are you this morning? I'm good, thank you. Yes, ma'am. Um, What's your question? My question. All right, I had a stroke three or four years ago, whatever, and I have uh, I have seizures, and I, they're always at night. And anyway, I'm taking a lot of stuff, and I want to know, I will read it off to you, and I want to know if any ring a bell that I shouldn't take at night. Some of them I have to. Okay. Uh, trazodone, trazodone, I take 25 milligrams. Um, a diagram, dram, it's a sleep pill. I just take a half of one. And I take Simvastin or whatever you say. Simvastatin, yes, ma'am. That's, that's, the, that's cholesterol. Uh-huh. 20, 20 milligrams, and I said take at night. Melatonin, I cut back because I read some stuff that don't take too much. So I just take 2.5 calcium and uh, magnesium and zinc all in one pill, and I just take a half. A 181 milligram aspirin, and I take... Uh, the seizure medicine, L-E-V-E-T-I-R-A-T-A-M. So Capra um, or, yes, ma'am? Yeah, 50 milli- 500 milligrams at night. And blood pressure medicine, M-E-T-O-P-R-O-L. Metoprolol. 25 milligrams. Yeah, 25 milligrams. And I go to sleep fine, but I wake up, and it's hard for me to go back to sleep. I wake up usually the same time, about 3, and I go the bathroom and come back and then I can't sleep. 
Yes, ma'am. So based off of that medication list that you gave me, uh, none of them should be keeping you awake at night. Um, actually, most of those medications will help you sleep. So it works out. So trazodone, interestingly enough, is one of the medications that we give patients to help with sleep. Um, so most of the medications that you list can ultimately um, help with sleep. One of the things that you did highlight is what is causing you to wake up. And it sounds like getting up to go to the, to the restroom um, and then having trouble yeah. falling back asleep. And so that is actually a challenge that a lot of my patients have about what time is your last drink at night like whether it be water tea what time do you drink i, I try not drink anything with caffeine like after five okay I cut it off but i listening to you i think i need to cut it off soon um i i do drink water okay like i probably should quit the water earlier i guess and I, I agree. And so I really think that that could ultimately help pushing your fluids up a little bit. I don't want people going to bed dehydrated, but make sure that we're just kind of pushing our fluids up a little bit earlier. So we'd say drink about two thirds of what your your liquids earlier in the day between one or or before one or noon um, and try to limit how much you're drinking right before bed. So I definitely think if you could move that water up a little bit, hopefully that can stop you from waking up to have to pee, which then is causing you to ultimately have to um, get up and then have trouble falling asleep. But I'm so sorry, Miss Jeannie, we're running out of time today. I appreciate you calling today and I appreciate everyone that called today and I hope you guys were able to take away a good bit from the show. Remember, this is Southern Remedy Women's Health is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and generous support from listeners like you. Today's show was engineered by Jay White. I'm Dr. Jasmine Kinsey. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.